I, in my role, cannot be accountable for driving diversity, equity, and inclusion at One America. It takes all of us. And, and as soon as I share that and show people how they can be a part of that, it helps to alleviate some of that. That was Kim Thomas, Chief DEI Officer for One America, discussing the importance of corporate leadership to be supportive and accountable for driving diverse representation and belonging at all levels of an organization. And this is IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. So Kim, so nice to finally meet you. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Freedom Forum. Will you please tell our listeners a bit about you, your educational and professional background, and any other factors that have led to you becoming the Chief Diversity and Equity and Inclusion Officer at One America? Thank you, Angela. I'm so grateful to be here today. Thank you for inviting me. Um, I've been looking forward to this so much. So a little bit about me. I grew up in Gary, Indiana. Okay. And um, so I've been in Indiana pretty much my entire life. I don't know if that's exciting or not exciting, <laughs> but just different experiences. And so in Gary, Indiana, um, when I think about just my life's journey, it's predominantly Black. And so I didn't know that I was a minority. I heard people say that I was, but I did not experience that in my day-to-day life. And so by the time that I was ready to go to college, I actually made a, I was going to go to an HBCU. And then I made a conscious decision that I wanted to have an experience that would feel like the real world for me. Um, And so I decided to go to Purdue. There, I was a part of their business opportunity program where I've made some lifelong friends. And after graduation, I moved into human resources. I've been in recruiting. I've um, been an HR business partner, associate relations partner. I've led just about every aspect of HR except talent management. Um, And I believe that all of those experiences really helped me to understand something very fundamental, that people want to be seen, they want to be heard, and they want to feel like they matter. And and all of those experiences, I think, really prepared me for the role that I have today. Yeah, that's fascinating. I think I I share your experience around the HBCU in that I I didn't grow up in an all-Black city. In fact, I was the complete opposite. So I've been the face of diversity my whole life, but I appreciate exactly what you said that I do believe that prepared me for so many of the environments, particularly the corporate and business environments that I find myself where you are and remain the face of diversity. And I I appreciate that, you know, HBCUs are fantastic and absolutely do so well in building the confidence of so many minority soon to be professionals. But I do I have heard, and again, it's not my experience, that sometime it does leave you with a deficit when you go out into the real world and realize, wow, that was an awesome experience, but that isn't what it is everywhere, right? So you mentioned that you started off in human, sorry, <laughs> human resources. And I think many people have historically associated human resources with DEI work. Um, however, before coming to One America, your HR experience has grown from wellness to life sciences, you've been at a bunch of different companies. So can you tell us a bit more about how your HR background and some of those learnings have, you know, prepared you for your current role in DEI? And how have you seen it grow and change over your time? Mm-hmm. So when I think about um, back to the people want to be seen, heard and feel like they matter, sure. all of those different experiences, I could see where 
bias, and at the time I didn't necessarily put a, a word to it that this is bias, but bias impacted decisions that maybe were made um, in terms of hiring or who's promoted or the beliefs that we have about individuals. And so in those experiences, it was my role to um, challenge conversations, investigate, look at things differently. And all of that really lends to, when we think about DEI, that's what that world is, is to have have your eyes open to the possibilities of, are you seeing things the way that they really are? Or is there more to the story that we really need to understand? And so in the various industries that I've been a part of, still at the end of the day, people are people. But the different lens is, I'm in financial services right now. That's a different aspect of diversity, even from an industry standpoint, where we think about the, the wealth gap, the racial wealth gap in particular. And there's an opportunity for me and my role to be able to actually address that alongside with leaders in the organization to make sure that we're leaving people whole, again, feeling like they've been seen, heard, and, and that they matter, not only as an employee, but as a member of the community and as someone that um, is trying to grow their wealth. So give me a bit of a of a synopsis of how HR and DE&I in the wellness and life sciences space differs from the financial space that you sit in now. How, how have you seen your role or what you are expected to do? Some of the situations that you've been involved in, how has that changed over the different industries you've been in? Yeah. So each of the industries that I've been in, they there was a there was a gap somewhere. So you think about there's a healthcare disparity Absolutely. gap. Um, that was the future focus. Um, and in one of my organizations, we were that was the time where the Affordable Care Act was being rolled out. Also, we think about healthcare disparities of just getting quality of care, of making sure that there's not disparities there. Those were the conversations that were happening in the in the industry that I'm in right now. There is a huge wealth gap that exists. And so what I appreciate being in the, the position that I am now is that I actually can be a part of the solutions mm. for helping to close that by helping others gain financial literacy, financial wellness, and be able to make decisions that help empower them. So from an employee standpoint, Many of the experiences are the same, but because the industry is different, yeah. we're able to reach out into the community and have a different outcome. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And it sounds like you've had a, some really good experiences and make an impact in those spaces. So speaking of making an impact, I want to ask you a question that I've asked many of the chief DE&I officers who I've had the pleasure of having on my show from various organizations around the city, including Penske Entertainment, Indianapolis Airport Authority, the Colts, et cetera. To do your job, you have to have obtained, or sometimes you have to have, have obtained specific certifications or trainings in DNI. And I've always, you know, I always assert to folks, I have no such training, like outside of life lessons. That's all I have, right? That's all the credentials I have to my name. But how has DNI or the meaning of DNI, just ask you, evolved in the HR field? over the course of two decades, notwithstanding the industry, but just in HR, how has that meaning changed and how important has it become or maybe not become over the course of time? Yeah. So it, a couple of de decades ago, it was diversity meant we have an affirmative action plan. Right. And right. so we look at where we have gaps and okay, it looks like we don't have very many women here and we don't have many Asian Americans here, so let's go and recruit. Um, it really was 
diversity and representation. And then over time, we've seen that, okay, well, you can bring people in, but if you say, we want diversity, but don't change anything, we don't want your new thinking, just come fit into our culture. That's not leveraging diversity at all. In fact, those individuals will probably leave the organization. So it's evolved to, let's look at inclusion and belonging, Mm -hmm. really helping people to utilize their voices and feel like they're part of the conversation. And then now, um, you know, we also have the E, part of DEI or DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging where some organizations use. The equity piece is, okay, we brought the representation, we're including people and making sure that they use their voices, but also let's make sure that we're providing the resources that people have fair access um, and, and similar access to the same resources, tools, and opportunities. And so it's really evolved from affirmative action to really activate it in, into something that's much more where everyone can show up and be their authentic selves yeah, and be that, successful. That's really, really powerful. And I think it's necessary. I, I often hear conversations around, is that the E, the equity piece, is it necessary? Are we not doing enough to make sure we have a diverse culture, et cetera? But you just spoke to how important that is and seemingly has a direct tie to the retention, right? You can get people in, but if they're not having equitable resources, equitable opportunities to advance, to get exposure, visibility, training, et cetera, they'll ultimately leave, which of course hurts retention rates. So again, within in your chief DEI role, I've also heard many conversations around the fact that, you know, we we are put in these roles, but are not necessarily given the power to really move things, to really change things, to make impact. Oftentimes, a DEI role is considered one where you're just the talking head for the organization, but don't really have any, again, power to really make change. What has been your experience? How is One America different? And how are you leveraging your role and your position to really make change and impact for the future of the organization? It's cliche, but as individuals say, it starts with the top of the house. And I have an amazing leader. We have an amazing chairman, president, and CEO, Scott Davison, in that he pushes us to not have this off-the-shelf DEI program. He said, I really want it to be something that makes a lasting impact, not something that we're doing. And 20 years from now, we're in the same place that we're really advancing the work. And so he challenges us to do do more, as well as my, my direct leader. And so I can give you one example that really just speaks to this. We are currently hosting a program at One America that's held um, or is established by the American College of Financial Services. It's their Black Executive Leadership Program. Mm-hmm. And so Black leaders from across the industry come in for this program that lasts over four months. And in the opening session, I was um, talking and, and then one of their representatives said, I reached out to Kim and within two minutes, she responded to my email and said, absolutely, we will host this program. I was talking to one of the people who left as she was leaving. She said, I was thinking, she has that kind of power? She can make that decision in two minutes? And I said, let me tell you why. And I actually addressed it in front of the whole team. It's because I know what my um, CEO believes in and how he wants us to push this work. He would give me a call and say, why didn't you do this? As opposed to why did you do this? And so I really, we call it a green zone. I have open space to 
to do what matters and get the outcomes that we need without having to say, can we do this? Can we do this? And so I really do feel like I have the power to make a difference. That's awesome. And are are clearly leveraging that power because that program sounds fantastic. So I'm glad to know that that it exists. So um, when I was interviewing for law firms um, years ago, when I was in law school, I distinctly recall one firm explaining to me how they didn't need a DE&I statement and they didn't need a DE&I officer. And I I remember thinking to myself, and, and thankfully I was older and wise enough to know, okay, yeah, I, I know better than that. Um, but, but there are still many organizations who don't necessarily believe that they need a DE&I statement or a DE&I officer or such a title or an office or even that initiative and program. Um, we've heard from many people who say and feel like their organization is doing it because they have to do it because that's the expectation. But the weight isn't necessarily put behind it like you're speaking about from your CEO who you've had these conversations with. I know for my law firm, my DE&I officer or, or chief diversity partner has constant communication with our firm managing partner to make sure they're aligned with regard to how we show up, how we represent ourselves on that front. Why is it so important? I want you to speak to some of the organizations or representatives of the organizations that may be listening who still aren't bought in, still aren't convinced that it's necessary. Tell us why it's so important for sophisticated and advanced companies to ensure that they do have a chief diversity, equity and inclusion officer, a corporate DEI statement. They have plans and initiatives to identify diverse talent and make sure that they are advanced through the organization. Organization. Why is that important? Um, I think the basic answer is that people are paying attention. So your employees are paying attention. Your prospective employees are paying attention. Absolutely. Customers, all of the above. And, and when you, people are actively searching for that specifically. What is your commitment and what are you doing to drive that? And that can make a difference between whether someone stays at your organization or comes to your organization. And I also know, I, I help with this on a regular basis. When we have customers that are wanting to do business with us or considering whether they continue to do business with us, those are very specific questions. Do you have a chief diversity officer? Yeah, What is your plan? Give us examples of what you're doing. And so it really, and when we talk about bottom line impact, there really is a bottom line impact to not having it. And um, just having a statement is not enough, but at least that's the starting point. Yeah, you're exactly right. You know, times has changed. You have the internet out there now. People are doing way more research on organizations and companies than they ever have before, and particularly to determine who who do I apply for, right? Who do I have an interest in actually even applying for a position there. I've always told people, you know, as as organizations and firms interview you, you interview them as well, right? Because they will give you nuggets on the culture of their environment, even if you have never stepped a foot within their doors. And I think that's particularly very, very important. So thank you for for speaking to that. Tell us what unique aspects of DE and I are specifically related to your position at One America, again, in a financial institution. I've had a couple of bank people on the show, but tell us how you all are specifically intertwining DE and I into your corporate objectives and initiatives. We have a a focus on wealth building. We want people to be able to build generational wealth. And wealth 
is a relative term. It may mean you will have that yacht in Monaco one day. Right. It may mean that you're not living paycheck to paycheck. Right, you can right. send your kids to school. And so um, back to the American College of Financial Services, we partnered with them um, because they are the experts in educational financial education. We have a program that we launched called Know Yourself, Grow Your Wealth. Um, we share it with our employees um, or associates, as we call them, and the community. And so what it looks like is this. It's an online modules that people go through self-paced. We committed a million dollars last year over a five-year period to be able to use this platform to share it with our community partners because this isn't about you know what's going to be our bottom line impact. This is how can we help people ed- become ed- more educated in their financial situation so they can have better outcomes. We believe if we affect an individual, we impact a, a family, and we also impact a community. And th- we feel like that's our responsibility to be able to do that. So I am privileged to be in this industry where we really are taking that front and center to be able to help individuals, to be able to have greater, better outcomes, to close the racial wealth gap, and for people to be able to live in a way that they, that is meaningful for them because they've been able to grow whatever wealth means for them. Yeah, that sounds very impactful and rewarding uh, to be in your position. I also want to ask about as a diverse woman in these roles, and again, I've talked to many people who sit in that seat as diverse people, and I think that has a particular weight because I think I I can speak for myself you often internalize the pressure to make sure that on your watch there is increased diversity there is increased representation at all levels of the food chain whether that's the entry level all the way up to the CEO and that can be very rewarding and it can be very challenging at times speak to me about some of the greatest rewards you've had in your role as Chief DE an eye officer of One America and some of the the real challenges, some of the heartbreak maybe even that you faced in that role and just how you shake that off and go fight another day. Yeah, it, it can be um, a lot of challenges and, and pressure for anybody in a role like this. And particularly if you represent any diverse background, because people also expect you to have all of the answers. Yeah. And I come from the standpoint of, I always say, I don't know that there is a DEI subject matter expert, at least not on everything, because I have my own bias. I'm I'm a human being. And so I, like everyone else, have to listen and learn um, to figure out things. But I think some of the, the challenges come into play when people don't, in my role, don't take some of that burden off their shoulders and share it with others. I, in my role, cannot be accountable for driving diversity, equity, and inclusion at One America. It takes all of us. Right. And, and as soon as I share that and, and show people how they can be a part of that, it helps to alleviate some of that. The challenge is always there is that it's an uphill battle. We've been fighting this as a nation, um, as a world for many, 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 many years, and right. it's not going to change overnight. And so sometimes the frustration with people um, wanting to see something dramatic happen overnight it's disheartening and frustrating, but it's it's about celebrating the successes that you make along the way, celebrating those milestones, um, and really living, putting truth to power. When you say you're going to do something, do it. That builds credibility and people believe that you're in it for the long haul. How does history, you just said we've been, you know, our country, the world has been dealing with these same issues for many, many years. Those issues don't change or rectify overnight. I've recently appreciated more that 
you know, as people come into organizations, maybe even at executive levels, there should be some type of history lesson about the company because it is very easy for, you know, as I'm now working with the millennials and the Gen Xers and I'm a Gen Xer, so the Gen Zs, to come in and be frustrated with where we are with regard to diversity, equity, and inclusion. But I think if you educate them as to the background, as to the history, I think we would all appreciate that. We're certainly not where we should be, but we certainly are not where we have been, right? And I think that kind of historical context puts things in perspective and allows people to get on board and and to, you know, get active rather than feeling like, my goodness, I, I, I can't move this ball. How are you tackling that kind of approach in One America? with regard to insights into where the company has been, what advances you have made in the DE&I front, and then what you hope to see in the future. What does success look like for you? When you look back over your career or your time at One America, what will need to have happened for you to feel like, wow, I made a difference. We really did make some changes. Our journey has really included, we had um, two weeks that we offered for um, new parents and specifically for mothers. And what we've evolved to is saying that that's not okay. Um, we've been able to hear the feedback and we've moved to 10 weeks of parental leave for either parent to right. be a part of that. And so um, it's really about using your voice and be able to, to share the story of where we've been, but to listen to others to see where we need to go. And I think success on my watch looks like, like this, that at the end of the day, again, another piece that sounds cliche, but people really can show up and be themselves and feel like they don't have to become one person when they walk into the office and another person when they leave. For the first time in my life, and I know this is not necessarily true of everyone in the company, but that's my goal, I feel like I can show up as my authentic self. I am too old and too tired to code switch. Um, you know, when I'm speaking this language here, speaking this language there, I just am who I am. And I see more and more people feeling comfortable with that. Something as maybe seemingly simple as, hair, where um, particularly Black women being able to you wear their natural hair and feel okay and not have people say it's not professional. Um, we see that. To have someone have a nose ring and it's not say that's not acceptable and that's not professional. I see more and more of that happening. Those small things add up to really big things. And so um, I'm hopeful that we will come to a place where people feel like I can just be me. That is so important. And I, I appreciate you. You use the term code switching. I literally just learned that like in the last two years, like, what is that? And people are like, how do you not know what code switching is? But it's a real thing. And it's a phenomenon that is very real, particularly amongst diverse and minority people who are walking into corporate environments who are one one way and can act one way and feel comfortable one way when they're with their friends and their family and then literally have to switch into a whole different person when they go into the office or with their colleagues and the ability to be your authentic self and not have to do that, which we've learned statistically by the data wears on you over time. People cannot keep that up over time. So so let me ask you with regard to you talked about the storytelling which I think is really phenomenal because I have not heard a lot of people talking about, you know, that storytelling and having 
opportunities or venues or formats, platforms for employees to truly tell the stories of their experiences in the workplace without feeling like, okay, my badge isn't going to work on Monday when I show up. How impactful has that been, not only to empower you to make changes, but also to have real effect for the CEOs and the executive suite and the C-level people who may not get down on the ground on a regular basis to know what the true employee experience is. Something that we did that was very impactful, it was immediately after George Floyd was murdered, it was within a week, we held listening sessions with our associates and we started with our Black associates. We started with our Black leaders, in fact. And all of our our CEO and, and the entire executive team sat in on those sessions. We were struggling with, what do we do? What do we do? And we said, you know what? We don't need to do anything right now, but listen, because people are hurting. Right. People have stories and they are people outside of these walls and they're going through things that we don't even recognize. And I think that was the start of building some different trust because people could just share their experiences and it wasn't judged. In fact, that was one of the operating principles, just, you know, speak, speak your truth. There's no judgment there. We continued that and we spoke, we listened to every single one of our associates. We offered sessions for every single person in the company that wanted to be a part of that experience. Our CEO and our executive team were a part of those sessions. That was the start of it. And we're continuing to make sure we have that open dialogue. And when people see, well, there wasn't a consequence for that, or they took action and actually did something to make something better, that is the the, the, the start of something really wonderful. Absolutely. They, they truly begin to believe, right? It isn't just words anymore, but they actually do begin to believe that, okay, maybe this company is trying to do better, get better, be better, right? And that starts with their internal people. So you you mentioned those listening sessions really being kicked off by the murders of George Floyd, of course, Breonna Taylor, so many that happened over the course of that time period, as well as COVID. What other things has on America done differently, stopped doing or started doing in light of that time that may or may not still be happening, but that was really impacted by, you know, all that happened in 2020 and has lived on beyond that period. Yeah, so some of these things are continuing. We recognized that we needed to educate our workforce. And so we built a custom um, course around conscious bi- managing conscious and unconscious bias, recognizing that we all have it. And we tried to have stories that showed different people of different backgrounds being a part of that and how we all are affected by it. And then we also built a conscious inclusion interactive session that we invited all of our associates to be a part of, to show now that you know you have bias, now what do you do to be consciously inclusive of others? From our listening sessions to just the ongoing forums of talking to and listening to our associates, we we started our business resource groups that are focused on specific demographics where some, some companies call it associate resource groups or employee resource groups. We have them now, or we're sort of the infancy stages, but we have two and we're planning to launch four more this year. The two that we have right now, one is focused on the experiences of our Black associates and the other on women in our workplace. So um, we're really excited about that and it's energizing. It's exciting to see people come together and not feel like they're being judged because they're coming together with people who are like them. So I'm really excited about those things and those things will continue as we move forward. The Freedom Forum would like to send out recognition and appreciation to all of our Asian American, Pacific Islander, and Arab American communities during this month of May. 
Now, let's take a quick break. Get caught up on the state's top business news every business day with the Inside Indiana Business Radio On Demand podcast. Available now at InsideIndianaBusiness.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You mentioned some of those initiatives. I want to know, now that you've been in your role for what I calculated, about a year and a half or so, maybe it's longer, you tell me. You've talked about some of these initiatives, but what we've been talking about more, and it was really put on my mind by Pete Youngman when I had my conversation with him is, you know, many of our companies are certainly still working to make things better for their employees, their, the people who are within their four walls. But we also know that there is a corporate initiative, a responsibility to also affect our communities, right? And you mentioned that you're an Indiana native, although up in Gary. Um, how is One America using its DNI initiatives and platforms to not only make life better for its employees or associates, but also the community in which it serves, the community that it invests, etc.? You know, I, I was, um, before I joined One America, I was really impressed when I went online to see how much One America contributes to the community because it's a smaller organization relative to some of the large employers here, but we um, really punch above our weight class there. So one thing I'll call out in particular, and I'm very proud of this, this work, and we've shared it with other employers because we want others to take it too, it's called our Pathways Program. So it has a couple of different elements. It's Pathways to a Sustainable Income. From a Brookings Institute report, it showed that a living wage is $18 an hour plus benefits in Indiana. We looked at it from our our associate standpoint to see, do we have any associates? We didn't think we had any. We had over 100. And so we changed that. Now we've advanced to the starting wage is $18 an hour, just minimum of any role. That impacts our employees, but it also impacts the community and people working for us. The other piece of it is Pathways Junior Fellows Program, where we reach out to very specific zip codes where they're underserved and usually more diverse, where we bring in high school students to come work with us for five weeks during the summer because many of those students maybe didn't have either aspirations, visibility, or access to a corporate environment like this. We want them to see that tower as something that's not scary and daunting, but a place that they can actually be. And so we give them a professional mentor, a personal mentor. Some of the students, um, not all of the students, but some of the students have um, broken homes and we give extra love to them. So if a student is maybe dealing with something very sensitive in their family situation, we utilize, utilize our community partners to help help us to um, coach, to help um, bring them along and not just say, well, they didn't show up to work today. You know, we're going to write them up and fire them. Let's find out what's happening because they're coming from some very um, unique circumstances. We've rolled that entire plan out and shared it with our competitors, with our community partners, other employers um, in the city, because we know we can't do it all. But if we all chip in, then we can impact our community in a very meaningful way. I want to talk about authenticity again. You mentioned, you know, a, a black woman's natural hair. I'm sitting here with braids right now, you know, so I'm taking full advantage of that. So I appreciate that. But we also recognize that, and, and that's our experience, so we can relate to that. But, you know, there are plenty of people, I mean, it's part of why I love diversity is you learn something about people all the time, like just random things that you would never assume. That's the beauty of not having bias, right? People can actually have the freedom to show you who they are and you appreciate that. But in, in the context of 
a financial organization, how do you leverage authenticity with also um, managing corporate standards, corporate expectations? I think sometimes authenticity is considered you know, the pendulum swings so far one way and the other, right? And while certainly people should be allowed to be authentic, I think, you know, there are just some expectations for particular industries. I'm in the legal industry. As much as I want to be in my t-shirt and sweats every day, I don't think my clients would appreciate walking into Barnes and Thornburg and seeing me sitting there and, you know, sweats. So at some point, there is some, you know, expectations of the corporation. What has One America done to allow their employees and associates or encourage them to be authentic, but also maintain, you know, regimen or expectations of the corporate environment in which you're in? Yeah. So we still have those policies. We think about dress code and right. even our core values. But funny you should say that because um, in the financial services industry, and this was before I joined, but still sort of when I joined, people, everyone was in a suit. And because it was people want to see responsible people handling their money right. um, and their finances. But we've, we've moved to what's called dress for your day. And it's, yes, if you're meeting with your clients and prospective clients, there is a certain way that you probably need to address and we address and we want you to. Right. But if you're moving that day, I'm moving from one floor to the next and these jeans just might work out, that's fine too. And so we give people empowerment to, to do that. And so our core values, though, um, just kind of back to the behavior it really guide us in terms of of how people can show up. We again, we don't want you if your authentic self is to roll out of bed and in your pajamas and show up to work, <laughs> that's probably not for us. <laughs> but how can you bring yourself meaning that you can use your voice, you can you cannot agree with what's being said and 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 share your perspective that differs. All of those things really contribute to being your authentic self and really align with our core values around speaking up and mutual trust. So as long as people are living those things, then that works. Yeah, yeah. I think that's helpful because I think there are still companies trying to figure out where the sweet spot is. You know, you say authenticity and then, you know, your CEO comes in on client entertainment day in his sweats like, okay, we need to find another way to do that. Let's talk about, and and we're getting down on our time, but I want to ask you about personally, you are an African-American woman, you're clearly successful. When did you find your voice? When did you feel comfortable? You said earlier, you know, I'm too old and too, and that's kind of where I am. Like, I'm kind of like, it either is good enough or is not. I'm comfortable with me. So if you're not comfortable with me, that's your problem, right? But we are a little older, a little wiser. We have some seniority. You don't come into most corporate organizations right out of college or from whatever your background is at the age of 20, having that kind of confidence and that kind of comfort in being your authentic self. How would you encourage diverse folks in corporate settings, but also any supervisors or non-diverse folks who are actively supervising and mentoring diverse folks? How would you encourage them to approach that dynamic in a way that is 
authentic to both of them. And and I want to, before you answer, I want to ask you, because many diverse people feel like they have to be the Wikipedia for their, you know, diverse class. So I've got to answer all things black to my white colleagues who want to, who don't have a black friend to ask, and they're going to ask Angela. And that does become overwhelming, particularly on the days and times of a George Floyd, where you just don't have the emotional fortitude to do that. But but on the flip side, I do believe there are truly people who have just not been exposed, who genuinely, not to be disrespectful, just want to know. They've never been in an organization or had the opportunity to really get to know a black person or a black female or whatever diverse person, you know, an authentic background that they're bringing. And they genuinely want to know. How do you encourage people to approach those situations, particularly if they're in some type of mentoring relationship or supervisory relationship in a way that doesn't make one or the other feel uncomfortable where they can genuinely grow together and both people end up being better people because of that difference in diversity? Some people will say, it's not my job to educate you, so I'm not and so you can give, you can teach people or or share experiences that you hope will help them learn. But then if they come back to you again, it's like, well, help me understand. They're not going to do the re- research or the work. Is not my job or anyone else's job to continue to educate. But I think there's a balance, kind of to your point, that that is not my assignment. But I also realize that if I don't lean into this opportunity to help inform right. and share experiences, then maybe no one will, right. and you won't grow. So if someone's really coming from a authentic place, I think it's appropriate. And, and and everyone has to make their own decision on what they want to do. But I certainly would lean into something like that. But I also wanted to share, you t- asked about my confidence in getting to this place. It, it is helpful to have someone, um, there are many things along the way, but it's helpful to have someone that's another voice in your ear to help just kind of check you or balance you. And I, I got that in the form of a sponsor who I talk about uh, all the time. She's actually my leader. She happens to be a Black woman. We we worked together at my last employer, and I felt like she saw me in a way that other people did not see me. And she spoke about me when I was not in the room and created access. She gave me opportunities to grow. That, in turn, built my confidence, and it created um, access for me to do similar things for other people. So by her modeling that, I try to model that same thing today so that other people can have that same experience in building their confidence and they can help uplift someone else. But she saw me and said, you are enough. Um, You know, everyone has opportunities to grow, but you are talented. Let me help you. It's not always about let me help you in terms of like, let me give you this job, help you get this job. Absolutely. It's let me help other people see you the way that I see Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Um, that has been very important and impactful in my personal life. I mean, that that speaks to the core of sponsorship, right? And I think there are so few particularly diverse people who have that kind of true sponsorship. I think I've been the benefit of that. And it certainly for the most of my career has not been by another woman of color because that just has been almost a unicorn in my space. But nonetheless, it has been um, mostly males, some Caucasian, a few here or there were diverse, but who did take the time to get to know me, believed in me. And then when they went to rooms that 
quite frankly, I didn't even know existed, would speak goodness about me to the point that when I was in a position to have an opportunity or a position to get a promotion or a position to just do something different, I was met with a lot of encouragement in a way that I often expected. How am I going to fight my way through this? Right. Because they're not going to let me do this. So I, I think that's really speaks to sponsorship and identifying talent and getting behind talent, um, no matter who they look like. I think there are more and more people who are just looking for good talent and are less caught up in how that talent is packaged and where they may come from. I mean, certainly there are industries like yours and mine where you have to have a foundational basis of training or learning or education. You know, I'm a lawyer. We work in a law firm. I don't care how smart you are. If you don't have a law degree, you're going to be challenged, right? I mean, you're only going to go so far. But I do appreciate that because I think, again, according to our biases, people limit themselves so often in relationships that could truly be just outstanding and lifelong if they allowed themselves to kind of open themselves up to it. I agree. And look, there's a bias on the financial services industry. Um, I just went to um, a, a community college here recently, and we were talking about um, financial services. Not many people were interested, and their bias was, I'm going to have to work with numbers all day. I don't like numbers. And we said, well, hold on. There are HR jobs, there are IT right. jobs, there's sales, there's marketing, there's communications. There's all of these other roles that exist. And that was just eye-opening yeah. for the students and the instructor that, let me think about this. Financial services is not traditionally very diverse from a racial standpoint. And maybe that's just one of the barriers. We need to tell our story collectively as an industry in a different way. Yeah. I mean, we have the same experience. People think of lawyers in a law firm, but we have every every person from hospitality to marketing to business development to admins. We have it all. So you're right. A lot of it is exposure. So as we as we wind down, Kim, I want to ask you two or three tools or tips, some resources that you would suggest to any Indiana leader who's serious about not just recruiting and hiring, but as we've talked about earlier, retaining diverse talent to and through their organization, through the ranks, and any advice you would give to diverse Indiana professionals who are looking to promote their career, start their career in companies here in the Hoosier State? I would say some very simple things. Listen, listen to your people. Yeah. Um, they have stories. They probably want to share their stories. They just may not feel safe sharing them. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and it may take a proactive approach to just reach out, call people. I started calling all of our new diverse leaders that we hired. I'm still getting through my list and just said, I'm, j I'm just reaching out to say, you know someone now, you know me. And if you ever have a question or an issue, just reach out to me. That didn't take, but just, you know, moments. Right. Um, but it, it is it, it is building that. And, it, and if people who don't look like me do that, um, maybe it's white men, white women, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, that will help establish some trust. Sure. Also, be active in the community and in the communities where you want to make a difference. Be very specific about that. And, and I think that can really go a long way. And for anyone looking to, to change organizations, re research the culture because anyone can say, 
these are the things that we believe, but look for the receipts. Yeah. Look for the receipts that show that you really are doing what you, you're saying, that they, they're doing what they say they're doing and, and challenge them. Um, so I, I, I just think that um, we're off to a, a wonderful start it, and in such a, an unfortunate way, um, a very tragic way after George Floyd was murdered. It was a, an awakening that we need to do more. I just want to see us continue that momentum. I know some have dropped off, right. but now is the time to really take advantage where we can really get some some lift in this and do something that's impactful, meaningful, and sustainable for the long haul. That is awesome, Cam. I thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, for jumping in today with me and really giving our listeners a different perspective of, of not just the financial industry, but what it takes to diversify yet another industry, not just in our state, but nationally that just has not typically been diverse. We thank you for all you do at One America. And thanks again for joining us today on the Freedom Forum. Thank you very much. Thank you again to Kim Thomas, and thanks to you for joining us on this 22nd episode of IBJ's The Freedom Forum with Angela B. Freeman. Please come back next month for another conversation about diversity, equity, and inclusion in the Central Indiana business community.